0: Morning, church. You may be seated. How's everybody doing this morning? Oh, come on. We got to try that one more time. How's everybody doing today? I got to tell you, I've been looking forward to third service all day because you are always the best crowd. You sing the loudest, you raise your hands, you get rowdy, you laugh at all the jokes. You just got through serving 2,000 other people. This is always the best. So I'm excited that we have gotten to this point um, in the day. Also uh, on this campus and on the other campus, I, I know you guys realize this, but we are really blessed by the musicians and the vocalists and the worship teams that take. Yes, would you do that please today? And just thank them. So cool for Joseph to be here today on this campus. He's like Eddie Van Halen on the violin, man. I just love it. I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, Pastor started a brand new series just three weeks ago called The Church Is. And he introduced us to a Greek word, ekklesia. And ekklesia is where we get the word church eventually from. And it literally means a called out body of believers. And that's what we are. We are a called out body of believers and livers in and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there's a difference between the church and a church. The church is the church universal. It's, it's the body of Christ. It's all of God's people and those who believe in Jesus Christ and put their faith and trust in him. A church is a group of people, uh, a body of believers in a location, like the church at Battle Creek, like the church at Midtown, and that's who we are. Now, week one, pastor said that the church is great, and he had a caveat to that. The church is great when Jesus Christ is the priority, the gospel is the mission, and transformation is the goal. And every one of us sitting here this morning, more than likely, whether it's a brown chair or a green chair or whatever the color chair is that you're sitting in here or across town, you're an example and you're a testimony of the transformation that can take place in someone's life, right? And so last week we built off of that and Pastor uncovered the fact that the church is a movement. And he had a couple of things that he he pointed out about that. He said, Jesus intended the church that he established to be prevailing, to be a champion, to carry on, to be overcoming, and not divided, and not backwards, and not stuck in neutral, but always moving forward. And and the church uh, of Jesus Christ that he intended is for us to be a force, and for us to be powerful, and we're to be powerful in his name. And because he said it, we can believe it. He said, nothing can stop my church. And that's who we are. Now, pastor also said, because the church is a movement, there's a couple of characteristics about us. Number one, the church will attract people. It will be attractional. Secondly, the church will be on mission. And we said, hey, we're gonna be attractional and we're gonna be missional. We're gonna be inside and we're gonna be outside. We are going to be both, not one or the other. Now this week, I wanna jump just a little bit more and go a little bit further and talk about the fact that the church is here And now, and it's probably more appropriate for me to add a little punctuation and to change the inflection in my voice when I say that in order to make the point and get across to you what it is that I want to say. Because it changes it from just being an assessment, from just being a statement, to being a call to action, to giving to each and every one of us the necessity of a response, you see, we are living, we are walking, and we are breathing in the age of the church. And the fact that is presented to us is not only what uh, we are to be and what we are to do, but that we are to have the opportunity, and we do have the opportunity for engagement and for achievement. That there is something that is called out there for us to do. And the church is here. And now? that there is a response that is to be evoked from the steps of our day, from the actions of our life. Let me show you kind of personally uh, how that kind of plays out um, in life. Um, I was saved July 1972 in Seoul, South Korea. It was a Wednesday night. told my dad I wanted to get saved and he took me back in the prayer room, prayed with me, took me through the plan of salvation and I asked Jesus Christ uh, to come into my heart. Now the very next step for a a new believer is to be what? Baptized, right? I was scared to death of the water in Korea and to get baptized. Back in the 70s, it wasn't the best water uh, in the world. And I let that fear keep me from being obedient. Even as a six-year-old, it's important to be obedient, but I, I was afraid to get baptized. And you know, there are some of you sitting here this morning that have not taken that next step of obedience in your walk with Christ in regard to baptism. And kind of like me when I was younger, there's some fear that you have that you're working through and you're trying to overcome. And and I just wanna encourage you today that here, at this point in time in your relationship with Christ, that now is your opportunity to get baptized and and you need to get past that fear and you need to put your trust in him and you need to take that next step. We're going to, we always give you an opportunity every week, but we're going to have a very focused opportunity on August the 4th and we're going to have a big day. We're going to baptize a lot of people and and some of you are getting emails and messages and video messages from pastor and there's going to be phone calls happening this week and I want to encourage you to take that next step and to be baptized in your here and now moment. Now, fast forward to 1984, all right? It's the month of May. Just to give you a little bit of a reference for those of you who enjoyed um, the 80s, uh, the songs that were battling it out that day for number one on Billboard were Take a Look at Me Now by Phil Collins and Hello by Lionel Richie, all right? So that kind of gives you a reference point of what was going on. Now I'm sitting and, and wearing a red, a shiny red graduation gown, and I'm sitting on the track around Mustang Stadium at Grapevine High School waiting to graduate, right? And so they call my name, Walk up on stage, walk across, everybody goes crazy, nuts, they cheer, right? And so I get my diploma and uh, go back and I sit down. And I remember sitting there with my diploma in my hands going, here it is. And now what am I going to do, right? I'm 18, I got to move on and I got to start doing something and making something happen. It's a here and now moment um, in my life. Fast forward four years, July the 17th. 1988, two days after uh, the release of Die Hard, the first one, okay, all right? And it's the night that my first son, uh, Joshua, was born, six pounds and 10 ounces. And I remember that nurse uh, walking over to me, right? And she's got, and she puts him in, here is your son. I remember looking at him and going, and now, you know, scared to death. 20 years later, uh, January 24th, 2007, Dr. Brian Worley here in Tulsa looked me right in the eye and he says, here is your report. Uh, You have cancer. And I remember thinking, now what? You know? And there are these moments, guys, that, that, that come about in our life and they change everything. Experiences that affect you so very deeply that they change who you are. They change where you're going and, and they change what's important to you and, and, and you, you want what you want to become. And, and so they re-reprioritize your life. They they change your focus and, and the path that you were once on. You're now on a new path and you're making new choices and you're taking new steps in your life. They not only change you, but they have the possibility. They, they actually hold within them the ability to change the very fabric of the lives of the people that are around you, that baby that you're holding in your hands, that spouse that you're sitting next to, that person that sits across from you at work. I mean, there are these significant times in our life when we are confronted with, and, and they are here and now moments that God puts into our hands. Now, the Bible is 66 books of here and now moments, all the way from Genesis, all the way to Revelations. And it starts in the very, very beginning with a guy by the name of Adam. And Lord only knows how much time Adam has been spending naming animals and naming trees and naming plants. And God shows back up in the garden and he's got, him, he's got there with him Eve. And he says, here, and like an eighth grade boy at his first dance, right? Adam's like, and now? What am I supposed to do? 20 chapters later, 2,000 years go by, and we meet a person by the name of Isaac. And Isaac is standing on the top of a mountain, Mount Moriah, with his father. And they have just built an altar together. And Isaac looks at his dad and he says, Dad, here is the wood, but where is the sacrifice? And, And now? And Abraham's response leads to a mighty nation, a nation that the Bible says is as numerous as the stars in the sky. 500 years go by and we're introduced to a guy by the name of Moses, right? The number one song that that year, Walk Like an Egyptian, right? Was was (laughs) bolting it out. But Moses is standing there on the, the precipice of the Red Sea and he's got the Egyptian army bowling down on top of him. It's a really tough here and now moment. And God said, Moses, here. And Moses said, and now what? But he responded and he did what it was that God had called him to do. And two million Israelites' lives were saved that particular day. And the entire Egyptian army was decimated. A thousand years go by and we meet a man by the name of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is standing in the rubble of the city of Jerusalem. All the walls have fallen down. All the gates have been torn down. The number one song that year, just another brick in the wall, right, was going on. Hey, there's 6,000 years in this book. I got millions of these, I can do them all day long. But God calls Nehemiah, what? God calls Nehemiah to restore the city, to build back the gates, to put back the walls. And 52 days goes by and he gets it done. And what happens in the subsequent days and months that that took place was 42,000 Israelites who were exiled come back to their home and 8,000 of their servants and 50,000 people fill back into that city because he responded to his here and his now moment. A little over 400 years goes by and we're introduced to a guy by the name of Peter. Matter of fact, we walk up on a courtyard, a courtyard outside of the home of the high priest. And scripture tells us that Peter is standing there and he's looking through the window. And who does he see? Jesus. And Jesus is on trial. And Peter is confronted with an opportunity. Matter of fact, he's confronted by the people that are around him. And they look at him and they say, hey, haven't we seen you here with Jesus? And now what does he do? He says, I don't know him. Three times. He fails in his here and now moment. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. Because Peter's story isn't over there in that courtyard. In Mark chapter 16, verse number five, it's three days later. Three days have passed. And Mark 16 says that Mary, Mary, and Salome decide to walk out to the tomb. Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and Salome, who is the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And their purpose for going out to the tomb is to anoint the body of Jesus. This is Easter morning. And in Mark chapter 16, verse number five, it says this. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man that was clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body, now, now. Go and tell his disciples. Now, I really love the next couple of words because I connect with Peter. I stumble and I fall all the time. I drop it in my here and now moments. But scripture says, it says, now go and tell his disciples, including Peter. Now turn to Acts chapter one, just a few books ahead. Acts chapter one. Because in the days and the weeks that followed, Peter, who had missed it in his here and now moment, was confronted, and he was comforted by Jesus. He was restored, and he was re-energized, and and Peter committed himself, not for treatment, and some people thought he was crazy. Peter committed himself to whatever it's going to cost kind of commitment, to as Jesus called it, feed my sheep. And 37 days after the resurrection, the disciples are, are standing and on those same streets that Nehemiah had repaved, and, and their heads are back, and they're looking up into the sky at those clouds. By the way, the number one movie was? Up, right? Okay. Okay. But in Acts chapter 1, I'm telling you, I got lots of them. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, this is an incredible here and now moment for the church. And it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That is the here and the now is, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends Of the earth. I mean, you talk about a here and a now. Here is the Holy Spirit. And now go tell people about me everywhere. And so they, the disciples, leading the church, they kick it into high gear. I mean, they get crazy, and, and the church.at Jerusalem starts blowing up, and, and for you Boston fans, it was more than a feeling. It was don't look back. I mean, they're just going crazy, and they're going after it. And so they have their first community attractional event and geared up for Jesus, and 3,000 people from— remember what, the, remember what he said? All nations, all people, 3,000 people from all kinds of nationalities. They fall on their knees, and, and they give their life to Christ. They're saved, and they're baptized into— the church. It was so awesome in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit shows up. The Holy Spirit came, and it was powerful. And so, at this point, scripture says that the believers were affected. And they begin to move, and they begin to really take action in their life, and they, they begin to merge together. And it says that they formed a community. And they begin to devote themselves to a lot of things, but they begin to devote themselves to each other, to learning about Jesus, and. They begin to do outreach into the community and the people that were around them began to give financially and they started meeting in small groups and other people begin to see this. Other people observed it and they watched and, and scripture says that they begin to join in as they were affected by the testimony of the church. A month hasn't even gone by since Jesus sat down with the 11 disciples that were left and he left with those, seven, those 11 disciples what we call the Great Commission, that we are to go there for, that we are to make disciples of all nations, that we are to baptize, and we're to teach them, and to start this cycle and to start this wheel that moves and moves and moves for all time. And so their outreach is a great success. And, and now Peter and John, they're, fi- they're feeling it. I mean, they are excited and they're fired up. And Jesus had told them, here's what I want you to go do and, and here's what you're called to. And, and now they're doing it. And so of all places, they make the amazing decision to go to the temple. Now who's at the temple? That's where the high priest is. That's where the high council is. Those are the people that killed Jesus and, 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 and it's a dangerous place, but they don't care. Because the thing that they're excited about is that's where the people are. And they're on a mission. The other thing we need to understand, and for those of you who've been to Israel, you know this visually better than the rest of us. The temple is only about five, maybe 10 minutes walk from the courtyard of the high priest. That place where Peter dropped the ball. He may have actually had to walk past that courtyard on his way to the temple that day, and that's something the enemy tries to do. Man, he tries to take us back to those places, tries to remind us of those moments in our life where we fumbled the ball, where we made a mistake, tries to build up within us a fear to keep us from being able to do what we've been called to do. He puts our shortcomings in our face, but God is bigger, and God's opportunities for each and every one of us are bigger. And so Peter keeps on moving, And Peter keeps on preaching and more people get saved. And in a short time, the church has grown from 11 that directly received the Great Commission to now 5,000. The new movie that week, big, right? Because that's what it was, man. It was getting big and it was blowing up and it was getting great and it was getting awesome, except for the fact now that Peter and John are arrested, beaten, and the religious leaders, After weeks of seeing what, I mean, what terrible things are happening? Let's see. Uh, People are getting healed, right? Uh, People are getting cared for. People are committing and they're recommitting their lives to God, right? All these horrible things, which is what, by the way, they were supposed to be leading and they were supposed to be doing. But what do the religious leaders do in their here and now moment? They command. Peter and John, and they say here and now, this is to stop, it's over. And so Peter and John, they exit the temple, they go back to the church.at Jerusalem, and their message to the people was, listen, as we continue on this journey, don't stop believing. Don't stop believing, keep moving ahead, keep moving forward, and 60 years go by, and John pins the last words of this book and the book of Revelation. And what's happened in those 60 years? The world has been changed by the church. It's multi-campus. It's now all over the place. It's growing, and it's going, and it's doing everything that Jesus Christ had called it to do. The church is in full swing. One theologian by the name of Charles Ryrie says this about the church. The church stands unique in the purposes of God, While God has chosen over time to relate to different groups, his activity with the church remains distinct. The Lord said, I will build my church. And that is his special work today. Now, here's the other thing that's special for you and I. The church that he built, he puts into our hands. And now, What's our response? He gives us the Great Commission. And the last 2,000 years of the church history, I mean, there's been a lot of things to change. Methods have moved over time, and, and music has played differently, and styles have changed, and decorations have changed. The form has taken many turns. But there are some things that are immutable. They have not changed. Number one, our power still comes from Jesus Christ. He is the one that empowers us. Number two, our mission is to share Jesus Christ with a lost and a dying world. Remember Acts 20, verse number 24. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work that was assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. God's mechanism for reaching this world, for connecting the lost with the Savior is his Church. It is the church. That means his plan is you. You, you're the called out body of believers, the ecclesia that make up his church. His plan is for all of us. We who are the church called out believers in Jesus Christ to what, to merge together. I hate merging on the BA. I hate merging on 169. I want to slip out, go to the front, look for the guy who did the same thing and then get right in behind him because he's gonna feel guilty for what he did. That's what I wanna do. Here's what God calls us to. Guys, we're supposed to go train, baptize, disciple, right? That we are to merge together, that we are to come together that we are to be his church and we are to finish his command and we are to go, train, baptize, disciple. Two very simple observations today. Number one, the church is here to accomplish the mission of God. The church is here, here to accomplish the mission of God, which means that you are called. It means that you are called to accomplish God's objectives. The plan was activated in the book of Acts. He got the wheel turning. He got it in motion. Jesus came to lay down his life to be our final sacrifice and the ultimate payment for our sin. He established the church to carry that gospel, right? For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus Jesus' mission was to carry God's love to the entire world, and Jesus established his church, the church, this church, to be the means for delivering salvation of mankind to mankind. Literally, from his nail scarred hands, he handed off the gospel to his disciples. And Jesus said to them, You are my disciples, you're my followers. The ones that have responded to my call, to my offering of salvation, my baptism, uh, my teachings, and my commands. Here it is. Now go and do the same. Replicate what I have done. And that's what was started 2000 years ago. There was this cycle that goes over and over and over again. And we jump onto the wheel, not to stop it, but to get it going even further. And we turn it and we pull people in with us and we turn that wheel and it's repeated over and over and the mission has carried on. And so secondly, we have to respond now, now to God's direction. We got to respond now to God's, commi- uh, God's um, direction. The Great Commission is here. This is the here moment in our lives that, that changes everything. And we are responsible to respond when, when we are saved. We're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It, it affects us deeply and it changes who we are, what we are about, and what we want to become. It prioritizes our life for us and, and the paths that we choose and the steps that we take and the things that we do. And your response is what is placed into your hands. It holds the very possibility to change the very fabric of the world and the people that are around you. You see, putting your faith and your trust in Jesus changes some things. I think really it changes everything. Changes our relationships, it changes our pursuits, it changes how we talk, changes what we listen to, changes where we go, changes how we treat people. Changes all the choices that we make and the decisions we make. And all of those things are to be influenced and guided by our relationship with him. And listen, we are to come together as his church. Think back to verse 42 in Acts 2. All the believers devoted themselves a deep sense of awe came over them all and all the believers met together they sold their properties and possessions they worshiped together and each day the Lord what added to the church you see we have to come together i believe right now that there's a championship team out there getting ready to win a championship i am so ready for football season oh my gosh to think that I'm excited today to find out what happened in Great Britain is just sad, right? Football season is just around the corner. And you know what, there there is one team out there, out of the two or 300, whatever it is, but there is one team right now that is getting ready to win a championship. And they've printed up the t-shirts, you know, I am committed, there's no I in team, all that stuff. And they chose to stay at school all summer right? And and they've been running one more sprint. They've been lifting 10 more pounds. And and they've been getting up 15 minutes earlier. And and they've been in the field. And they're doing all those things that, that the other ones aren't. And this happens every single year, that there is that one team that stands up and does what it's supposed to do in order to win a championship. And it's going to happen a few months from now because they're doing what they need to do right now with the opportunity it's placed into their hands. Turn to Colossians chapter three and, and we'll finish with the scripture today. And this is a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. And actually he told the church at Colossae, when you get through reading it, I want you to pass it on and keep passing it on to the churches that are around you. I think this is like one of those um, moments where the head coach and you know, he's delivering a speech and he's telling the team, this is what it's gonna take to win. I think what he's telling them is you have to be different and we have to be different. That there is an effect that takes place in our lives and in our community and in our merging together that has an impact on the people that are around us. Colossians chapter three, we'll start in verse number five. It says, so put to death the sin, and he's talking to Christians, okay, members of the church. So put to death the sinful earthly things that are lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality, with impurity, with lust and evil desires. He's saying you need to be different. Don't be greedy for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world, but now is the time to get rid of anger and rage malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. You see, the permeation of Jesus is to transform us. Verse 10, put on your new nature, right? Put on, put on your new t-shirt and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and to become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, a Sooner or a Longhorn, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. What Jesus places into our hands, it's to influence us. Look at verse 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You have to make allowance for each other's faults. Listen, we're all sitting here today. We've all made mistakes. person sitting next to you has made mistakes. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts for as members of one body, that's all of us merged together, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Verse 16 and 17, here's where he drives it home. Let the message about Christ in all its richness, Fill your lives, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts and whatever you do, whatever you say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I really believe that you and I are supposed to be different. And when I use that word different, I don't mean it in the context of we're supposed to be better than, okay? I mean it in such a way that because you choose to live your life in a different way, because you've chosen to merge yourself with other people, that there are people outside of those doors right there, and there are people in the communities around us, and there are people that live next to you and that you work with that they look at your life and in those difficult times, in those moments when they really get serious, they look at you and they go, they're different. And those people over there that they're a part of, they're different. And I wanna be a part of that. I want want what they have. I want what you have. And so there's there's a difference in the way that we talk There's a difference in the things that we talk about. There's a difference in the way that we approach life. And one of those differences is just like today, we merge together and we become one under the banner of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are his church, we are his mechanism. It has been placed into our hands, the great commission the mission of God to go and train and baptize and disciple. That's the call to me and you, and it's here. And now, would you bow your heads, close your eyes today? Would you take a moment and just kinda take some of that in? I'm by no means thinking that you you heard all of that today, but there's something I believe that there's something that you connected to today. I believe that there's something that penetrated your heart and and God's talking to you about something. And, And so today, I just want you to know that my heart, my heart is overwhelmed with, with a desire for the church and for you individually to become and to be and to do everything that God has called you to. But there is someone here today that I'm, really at the forefront of my heart. And that's if you're sitting here today in this room or across town in Midtown, and and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. And you would say, man, all those things sounded good. Man, I want to be a part of that, and I want Jesus, and I want God. I've never asked Him. I've never involved Him in my life, and I want that. If that's you, I just want to pray a prayer with you today. Lead you in a simple prayer. And, And the Bible says that if you confess and that if you believe, you will be saved. And so let me walk you through that prayer today. And you just pray it out loud with me. Just say, dear Jesus, I come to you today and I ask you to be my savior. I ask you to come and to live in my life. I ask you right now to forgive me of my sins. A matter of fact, I just bring all my mistakes and all the things that I've done and I just give them to you, and I choose to put my faith and my trust in you. I believe that you died for me, I believe that you were buried for me, and I believe that you rose for me. And in the best way that I know how, I ask you right now to come into my life and to save me. And before we say amen today, I wanna pray for the rest of us. I wanna pray for me and I wanna pray for you I wanna pray for those that are here today, and and there's some fear that you're dealing with that's keeping you from baptism, that that can be destroyed, knocked down. For those of you that maybe it struck a chord when I talked about the early church and and they were giving, and maybe that's a struggle that you have, or maybe you're here and you would say, man, I, I know I'm supposed to do something, but I'm just... I don't know what it is. and I, So if you've got a place of service that you're looking for, maybe you need to get into a community of people, of believers, and grow together with them. I just want to pray for you today. If you've got some baggage that you brought in here about your life, some sin, some, some, something that's going on, someone that's hurt you or whatever it is, I want to pray for you today that Jesus could take that and give you rest and give you strength. So Lord, we come to you right now and we proclaim to you in this place that we believe in Jesus and only Jesus. We say that you are God, capital G, God. And we believe that this is your church and we believe that we are your church. We believe that we are your hands and we are your feet and you've commissioned us to go. Lord, I pray for any fear that may be in this room today, any obstacle that's holding someone back for making decisions about the next step that they need to take in their relationship with you. God, I pray for them to have courage and I pray for them to have strength to do whatever it is, Lord, that you lay on your heart. God, I pray for the brokenhearted today that you would bring soothing healing into their life. God, I pray for those that are sick that they would be well. God, I pray for those that are searching that they would knock, and they would find you today. And so Lord, we all stand together and we sing and we proclaim to you today that you are Jesus, only Jesus, and we say it in your name.